Um, as, as we've been moving our way through Romans, and we're not quite finished yet. We're, we're right there at the end of the book, but we're not quite finished. And honestly, a lot of people skip the sections we're going through right now. They, they kind of just see them as throwaway, just Paul's mentioning his travel plans and a bunch of people. But I think there's some really important stuff for us to see here. Um, and, and even some stuff last week I want to go back and review. Part of what Paul was doing last week was he was describing the kind of ministry that he has. And, and all of us are in ministry. This, this is a church where we really believe we are equipping the saints to do the ministry. You're not, you're not watching us do ministry. You don't watch Michael do ministry. We're equipping you. You, you are the ministers. We are the equippers. Um, and so our ministry is priestly in the sense that we're bringing people to God. Uh, it needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and, and we're often moving into new areas. We're not just doing the same thing again and again. And Paul talks about his ministry that way as a priestly ministry, a powerful ministry empowered by the Spirit and, and a pioneer ministry. Um, but then when he starts talking about his plans, I found it interesting that he asked them to pray. He, he lets them know what his plans are. His plans are to visit Rome. He basically says, I've been trying to come see you guys for a long time. I'm finally going to get there, but I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to Jerusalem to deliver this offering. He's been collecting the offering on some of his other missionary trips. He is um, headed to Jerusalem to this very Jewish church to let them know the Gentile churches are in partnership with you, which is an important message for the book of Romans, too. The, the church at Rome needed to see that, that unity of Jews and Gentiles. He's going to go to Jerusalem, deliver that offering, and then he's going to um, go through Rome on his way to Spain but what he does is he, he says, this is my plan, but he asks them to pray because he knows he's, he's in partnership with them in this ministry, and they're, they're praying for one another. Um, and so I just want to read again the their very end of chapter 15. Paul says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that, and he makes three requests. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. Um, just a couple things I'm going to mention about this prayer. The, the three things he, he asked them to pray, that he would be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, the the idea is that he's taking a, a contribution to the Christians in Judea, back in Jerusalem. And, and he's, um, he's aware that there's a threat because of the, the Jewish persecution of the church that he's going to get in trouble. And so he p- asked them to pray that, that he'll be kept safe from that threat. He gets arrested and thrown in jail. Um, He prays that the contribution that he takes would be well-received. We have no idea what happened. He gets there, and pretty quickly, he gets arrested, and that becomes the story. We have have no idea whether that prayer was answered or not. Um, And and then he prays that he would come uh, to them by joy, which he does. He comes to Rome. He makes it to Rome, but under arrest. So he makes it, but he's in prison when he gets there. He, he's arrested in Jerusalem. He's transferred to Caesarea. He is put on a, a, a prisoner boat and makes the trip. There's a shipwreck on the way. He makes it to, to, to Rome, but he's under arrest. So he, the prayer's kind of answered, but wow, in a very, very different way. Um, and I want to 
just observe a couple of things. <laughs> uh, first of all, we need, to, we need to be getting other people to join us in prayer. Even if you're an apostle, you need other people to pray for you. Um, and, and so, you know, that connection card that we have where you can submit your prayer request, I want to encourage you to use it. Um, even Paul, an apostle, who's got this powerful ministry that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's expanding. He's got these great plans. He's still asking people to pray for him because he doesn't exactly know what's going to happen, and neither do we. And a couple of things I would also say. Uh, John Stott makes this observation. I think this is really powerful. He says, The purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. The promise that our prayers will be answered is conditioned on our asking according to his will. Consequently, every prayer we pray should be a variation on the theme, your will be done. When you're praying, you're not trying to strong arm God into a response. When you're praying, um, a large part of what, what you're doing is you're trying to go, Lord, here's what I'm asking you. And in the midst of the prayer, you're aligning yourself with what, what God wants. Um, prayer um, changes us more than it changes God. Um, and so we're always making sure that our prayers are, Lord, here's what we want, but we want your will more. And even as you pray, let that align you with what he wants. A couple of other lessons I would say. First of all, that prayer aligns us with God, not the other way around. I think you see from this example, God seldom answers as we expect. Um, he, he asks that um, he would be saved from, the, from them. He's not killed. But he's arrested, he's beaten within a, a, an inch of his life. God seldom answers the way that we expect. He does make it to Rome. There's joy in the reunion, and he, he makes it to Rome, and, and, um, and, and the gospels spread because he's on, under house arrest, but he can have visitors. Um, but he's still in prison. Um, I think another thing we see here is often we have no idea if God intervenes or not. We pray, and we don't know. Just let's be honest. You pray, and you get through, and you just go, I don't know what God did there. That's often the case with prayer. doesn't mean you should stop praying, because that's not the issue. The issue is not, you pray so I can see God work. It's we pray because we know, him, we, know we need him to work. Sometimes that's behind the scenes. It's over a long period of time. And sometimes it's not for years and years and years and years until you see the answer to that. And then I would also remind you, God knows the best answer, not us. His answer might be yes. His answer might be no. His answer might be wait. His answer might be okay in chains. Um, but God knows the best answer. Uh, let, me, let me read the verse again. I want to highlight a different part of it. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. The struggle of prayer. What, what is the struggle of prayer? Um, I think Stott, again, captures it well. The struggle involved in prayer lies in the process of coming to discern God's will, then desiring it above everything else. That's the struggle. The struggle is not, uh, do I have time? Oh, I forgot. Do I pray in the morning? Do I pray in the night? No, the real struggle of prayer is you pray and, and you're discerning. Well, God, here's what I want, but what do you want? And then once you're aware of what he wants, it's that struggle of, and what you want's better. What you want is, is what I now want. That's the struggle of prayer. So I would encourage you, um, struggle in prayer. Ask people for prayer. Get a community that prays. Turn in prayer requests here. Um, the Apostle Paul was requesting prayer. Every one of us uh, need prayer. 
That's kind of the end of chapter 15, where Paul introduces his plans, asks them to pray for him. Now we're getting into chapter 16 again, and almost exclusively this is thrown away by people, except maybe the last verses, which we'll deal with next week. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what Paul's going to do in this verses we're going to cover today is he's going to talk about um, people. He's going to mention a bunch of names. I'm going to have to try and pronounce them in front of you. Um, he, he's going to uh, mention the people that he knows in Rome. He's in Corinth writing this letter to Rome. He's going to mention the people he knows there. Then he's going to say, there are some people who are not our friends. They're false teachers. Pay attention to them. And then he's going to say, and some of my friends here in Corinth, they're sending their greetings to you. That's, that's kind of the movement. Here's the people I know. Some people don't want you to know. And here's the people who are with me who are sending their greetings to you. I've got a number of resources out there. Uh, one, just about successful ministry and this whole idea of partnership and working together, needing other people in your ministry. Uh, Doug Moo's got another one about false teachers and how we need to be discerning about false teachers. And then two by uh, Chuck Swindoll on just this idea of community and caring for one another. Paul's obviously a part, and you're going to see today, a a part of a caring community that works together. Um, I I call this section um, networking with a purpose. Um, it's, it's a section that, that Paul is going to deal with all of these people. And, and it's, it's, it reminds me of one of my favorite authors. His name is Patrick Lencioni. He's written a number of books. Um, he's written The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, a, a book that probably some of you wish the people you work with would read called Death by Meeting. Um, it's a great book. Um, he also has written a book called The Ideal Team Player. Um, all of his books kind of follow the same format. I mean, he, he creates this narrative for the first part of the book of here's a story in which they discover these principles. And then in the second half of the book, he, he talks about the principles. Well, in the ideal team player, um, this business is growing and it's turned over to somebody else and they have to grow the team and they're trying to figure out how to hire the right people for the team. And, um, and, and as they're hiring people, they, they kind of intuitively know this wasn't a good hire. This was, this was a good hire. This, this person's a good team player. This one's not. This one's going to squeak along, take a lot of work. This, one, this person's going to flourish. And, and they, they kind of intuitively know this, but they have to come up with some principles for it. And, and the principles they come up with are an ideal team player is somebody who is humble, hungry, and smart. Now, when I first read this book and was flipping through and kind of doing my preview of it, and I saw, you know, hungry, humble, and smart, I thought, well, good, at least I'm smart. Um, it's my lowest category when they're defined this way. It's the one I struggle with the most. Uh, let, me, let me define them for you. If you're on a team, and we are on a team, by the way, this is not a if you are part of the team of the ministry of the gospel. No, we're in this together. That's, that's this, the whole book of Romans is we're in this together. We're united. We may have a lot of different opinions on a lot of different things, but the gospel unites us. We're in this together. And, and we need to have people who on our team are humble. Um, humble basically means this, that, that you're, um, you're able to give credit where credit is due. You're able to encourage one another, let other people take credit. You receive criticism well without wallowing, um, but without being defensive. You're, you're a humble person in that you're, you're a good team player. You, you work well with the team. You encourage the other people on the team. And, and you don't ha- it doesn't have to all be about you. Um, you're, a, you're, just, you're a good member of the team. Um, if you're hungry, you're the person who goes above and beyond. 
um, you're willing to do more than is required of you. You're actually willing to do lower jobs. You're willing to, because of the success of the team and the success of the mission is really important to you, you're willing to say, okay, you know, my position maybe wouldn't have me do that job, but I'm going to step in and serve. You're, you're willing to do lower jobs, and you're always trying to grow. You're trying to get better. You're hungry to figure out, how do I help the team? Maybe I need to personally grow and acquire some skills, or maybe I need to step down and do something and stand beside somebody else. Um, the last one, smart, is people smart. Uh, you know how to read the room. You know how to understand your impact on people. Um, you, um, you understand that, that your words have an impact, and, and when you say them, you, you can see the impact that they have. Um, this is one of the ones that I struggle with. Part of that, and I'm not trying to defend it, but part of it is I just don't see myself as um, one with authority. Uh, and I, sometimes I'm viewed that way. I'm just, I'm just kin. I happen to be gifted to teach, and that's what I do. Um, and so, but I don't feel like I have this authority. So sometimes I'll say something, hey, can you get that done? And it feels harsh. Um, and maybe I am harsh. I, I don't always know because I'm not smart about it. Um, it's an area that I'm really trying to grow in. But these are, these are the, the qualities. If you're going to be a part of a team, and Paul is part of a team, he's addressing his team. Um, I, I think a good team is hungry, humble, and smart. And he, Patrick Lencioni has this diagram that, you know, if all these pieces have to work together for the ideal team player. Um, if you only have two pieces, you're still a, there's still a problem. The humble, hungry person is the accidental mess maker. They're, they're humble. They, they like the team, but they're so hungry that, and don't read the, the, the room well. They're not smart about the room. They make messes all the time accidentally. It's a great book. I encourage you. But, but think in terms of that on, on your teams, but also the team of the gospel. Are you humble? Do you work well with the team? Do you give credit to other people? Do you share credit? Do you take criticism well? Are you hungry? Are you willing to work hard? And are you smart? Do you kind of understand the impact you have on people? I draw some lessons from, from that. Even before we get into this, thinking about teams. First of all, never do ministry alone. It's very clear. Paul does not do ministry alone. Um, and again, you guys are the ministers. We're equipping you to be the ministers. Never do ministry alone. Always build a team, even if it's just one other person. If you're feeling called to something, get somebody with you, even if it's just somebody to pray for you. Find good teammates. Um, be a good team member. Be honest with yourself where you go, yeah, I need, to, I need to not make it all about me and not make it all about my, uh, my thing all the time. I can share credit. Um, we were interviewing a um, uh, person for our college pastor position recently, and we asked him about the growth that took place in the youth ministry he was in. He was humble when he said this, our church was really primed for growth. I was just there to watch it happen. Now, he made a contribution to it, but he, he was not going, yeah, here's the three things I did to make this ministry you know, grow. He just said, oh, our church was really primed for growth. Uh, I, I was just there to watch it happen. Can, can you be aware that, okay, that's, that's a strength for him, maybe not a strength for you, or maybe you're not hungry. You're, you're not looking for ways you can grow or looking for ways you can help the team, even if it's not in your role. Or maybe you need to be really aware of the impact. Man, you drag people down. Uh, or, uh, you know, you require so much of people to take care of you. Or your words have impact and you, you kind of leave a bloody trail wherever you are. 
Be honest with yourself about all those and continue to grow in all of those areas. Be a good teammate because <laughs> Paul has these teams and, and this is in scripture. And so I want to handle this and say, teams are important. I want to talk about Paul's team. Um, and interestingly, here's kind of the preview of it, Doug Moo. Paul asked the Romans to greet 26 individuals, two families, and three house churches. This is a lot of people he's going to address. Um, and then he's going to actually send some greetings from where he's at in Corinth to other people. Um, the, the first person that's going to be addressed is, is this woman named Phoebe. Um, and Phoebe is um, pretty significant. Um, she has a, a major role. She serves in a, in a significant, probably financial and tactical support role. Um, this woman named Phoebe, let's read what he says to her. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, I'm going to come back to that, of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Um, first of all, this woman is um, serving in the church of Sincrea. It's, it's a port on the other side from Corinth. So she's, she's really close to where Paul is in Corinth, but she's on the kind of the other side of the isthmus in Sincrea. And she's called a servant. It's, it's the word deacon. L- literally, the, the, the Greek word is deacon. Um, she's, we don't know whether she's um, a, a servant or whether she is serving officially as a deaconess. Either one of those is true. She's doing something significant. And, and what she's doing is really significant in that um, she's, she's serving in a, in a particular way. And, and the way she, she is commended is probably indicative. Almost everyone agrees. She's the one carrying the letter. Okay, so Paul's in Corinth. She's in Rome. She probably has the finances to make the trip. Um, and, and she is carrying the letter. There's a word that indicates that, um, Frank Thielman says, although Paul doesn't say explicitly that Phoebe will take the letter to Rome. It's very likely that this is why he mentions her, her here. Greek speakers commonly use this term commend. Um, it means really stand beside, um, stand with her, to introduce one person to another, and it appears often in letters of recommendation. She's probably delivering the letter. Um, the other interesting thing about her, she's a significant woman. She's delivering the letter. She's got a lot of resources. And because she has these resources, um, some versions translate it, she's a helper. Um, some versions translate it as a patron. This, this word that's, that's translated that way, it's, a, it's, it's the, the female version, the feminine version of a, of a, of a person set in, in authority over another person. Um, it can be a little more general, like a guardian but it, it specifically is used of a patron or a benefactor, someone who supports the work of something else with their resources. Um, we use the term when they say they're a patron of the arts. By the way, if someone's a patron of the arts, that doesn't mean they just go to see art things. If you're a patron of the arts, you support the arts with your finances. She's a patron of ministry. She is supporting a lot of people in ministry. There's a number of people um, in the Bible, Theophilus is probably one of these guys. Um, he, Theophilus is the person who receives the letter from Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He's probably financing the deal. Um, and so he starts off with this very significant woman and says, I want you to, to stand beside her. She's helped a lot of other people. You help her. 
partners in ministry. And some people have these significant roles, okay? Some people have these significant roles. Um, Phoebe has one of these significant roles, and her role seems to be largely financial. She's got resources. She's not writing other books. She's not planting churches. You know, that's not what we see her doing. She's got a financial investment in ministry, and because she has some financial investment, she uses that as a steward of it, <coughs> excuse me, so that she can support the ministry. Paul, somebody needs to, you know, pay for a trip to Rome, she does. Um, she probably supports his ministry in other areas, and she supports um, a lot of other ministries. Um, but it's not just significant people. <laughs> uh, he, he now is going to greet a lot of people. <laughs> Again, the list is, is 26 different people, um, two households, three house churches. Um, and everybody can and should Make a contribution to the progress of the gospel. You don't have to be a Phoebe. You may be sitting there just going, I don't got money. I can't do that. Um, I, I can't, you know, be the person who, who's, who's the patron of the church, who's really keeping it afloat. Um, that's okay. A lot of other roles. And some of these roles, we don't even know what they did. Honestly, we just know they're involved. <coughs> they're on the team. So here's a few observations about all these people we're going to see in just a minute. Would you hand me that water bottle? A few observations. Um, Paul knew most of these guys, but not all of them. Thanks, Andy. Paul, Paul knew most of these people, but obviously he doesn't know all of them. He says specific things about some of them. Uh, there are a lot of women on the list with significant responsibilities, not just Phoebe. Uh, many are listed as kind of special assistants. They are um, very, very close to Paul and have assisted Paul in some great, great ways. The list includes Latin, Greek, and Roman names. And I know for us, we've translated them all into English names for the most part. But, but the names in the original are Latin, Greek, and Roman. And it indicates there's a lot of diversity among this group. Um, there are some house churches that are greeted. Um, three house churches. Um, He's going to mention them and the church that meets in your house, the people that meet in your house. And um, there are some who seem to be servants, either f slaves of a house or, or freedmen, particularly in the houses of Aristobulus, who's probably dead at this time. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, lived in Rome, has probably passed away at this time, but the servants of his house are there. We don't know whether he became a believer or not, didn't necessarily have to have. Um, and another guy named Narcissus. Um, so there's a lot of different people who are going to be greeted. Let's, let's start off with some others you may have heard. Phoebe's a, a famous name. These are famous names too. He says, um, greet Prisca, which is Paul's name for Priscilla. Acts calls her Priscilla. Priscilla is kind of the diminutive name. Um, it's like Ken and Kenny. Um, Paul calls her Pris uh, Luke calls her Priscilla. But greet, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila have been with Paul for a, a long time. They've been in a number of locations. They are now in Rome and have a, ch have a home church there. Um, he meets them uh, back in Corinth. Here's what we read in Acts. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, 
because Claudius had co commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So they're from Rome. They had to leave when Claudius expelled the, the Jews from Rome because there was conflict among the Jews, probably because of Christ. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked uh, with them, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he meets them in Corinth. They're tent makers. They have this in common. They're from Rome. But he meets them in Corinth. We keep reading, and it says this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers from Corinth and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So now he's going to take them with him as partners. They're going to end up in Ephesus. When they're in Ephesus, we read this in Acts. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They helped equip this guy. guy knew the Old Testament. He knew that John said the Messiah was there. But then they took and they expanded that. They said, hey, let me show you how this all fits together. And, and at this point, it's now Priscilla and Aquila. Um, Priscilla seems to be taking the lead as the one who is um, instructing. Um, Paul is going to greet them a number of other times when he's um, at Corinth. He says, the churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So this is when Paul is in Ephesus, and now he is uh, writing to the church at Corinth, and, and Priscilla and Aquila are with him. These guys traveled with him. Um, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy, last book Paul writes, at the end of his life, he's concerned about them. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. They were lifelong partners for Paul. Paul had lifelong partners. He knew he could take them with him and he could leave them in places and, and, and put them in charge of things. Um, gosh, we know a lot about Priscilla and Aquila. And then there's this guy. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia, probably in Ephesus. Greet Eponidas. You know what I know about Eponidas? His name is Eponidas. That's what I know about him. <laughs> uh, we, we have no idea about anything of this guy except he's part of the team. Uh, enough of the team that Paul says, I know this guy and I want you to, to greet him. Same thing about Mary. Greet Mary. She, uh, she's worked hard for me. I don't know what she worked hard doing, but she was a hard worker. And, and when he's in Corinth and he's writing this letter to Rome, Phoebe's delivering it. He's got a section in there that says, greet Mary. Make sure you tell Mary I said hi. Um, and, and all of these names are very different names. Um, they uh, are, are, at one level, uniting the church. My guess is Paul is pretty strategically greeting people from all over the place, from all the different, different groups, greeting them because he's still uniting this church in their partnership in the gospel. He goes on and he says this, Greet um, Androniacus and Unia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. This is a little bit more complicated group. Um, we actually don't know the second name, if it's a male or a female, probably a female, um, probably a husband and wife. Um, they're Jewish, his kinsmen. They've been in prison with him. Um, a lot of people know him, even though we don't know him. And, and they actually came to Christ before Paul did. 
They're part of his team. And so he, he has people who are not even converts of his. He's not just, you know, going places, speaking, someone trusts Christ under his ministry, and then they join his team. These people were believers before he was. Um, and, and he wants to greet them. He's going to go on. Greet Ampeliatus, my beloved in the Lord. He kind of affectionately greets this man. Uh, greet Ampeliatus. He's beloved of me. I really love that guy. Connects with him. Um, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. We don't know anything about these guys. We, We know nothing, but we know they're part of the team because, you know what? Every one of you matters. Some of you, I know your names, and some of you, I could use your names and say, here's how you served. Some of you, I know your names and say, man, you're beloved of me. Some of you, I just know your names. Some of you, I don't even know your names. But you're all part of the team. Um, we are all united in the gospel. The, the thing that, that is significant about these greetings at the end of the book of Romans is Paul has, has clearly said, look what Christ has done for us. That's what unites us. That's the testimony we need to leave before the world. He's going to continue. Greet Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Um, I don't know if this guy... Um, <clears throat> was called to some ministry. He said, I approve the guy. He's approved to do whatever ministry he, he's there to do. Or if he was just saying, he, he's doing a great job. Um, but he commends him. Um, here's one of the house churches. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Uh, again, Aristobulus is a, a famous name, the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, we don't have any record historically or in the scripture that he became a believer um, but this is probably the, the family servants of Aristobulus who are in Rome. We know Aristobulus, grandson of Herod the Great, who lived in Judea, had moved to Rome. Um, greet my kinsman Herodian, um, another Jewish partner of his. All of these people are important, uh, and, and I'm going to mention every one of their names because every name is important, just like every one of you is important in this ministry. Every one of you is important. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus, probably another um, group of, of servants, perhaps some still uh, enslaved and some of them maybe freed who had um, served their seven years and now are free and they're willingly serving in this house. Greet them. Uh, here's an interesting one. Greet the, those workers in the Lord Trophenia and Trophosa. Maybe they're twins. They're girls. Maybe twin girls. I don't know. Uh, they, people think they are. Um, greet the beloved Persis. Again, who's worked hard in the Lord? These people have done hard things. They've worked hard, and you know what? We have no idea what it was. Folks, a lot of you have worked hard in the Lord, been partners on the team. A lot of you have worked hard, and we don't know what it is. I don't, I, we can't name them all. But the Lord knows that you've worked hard. Here's another interesting one. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. <laughs> this guy named Rufus and his mother have really cared for, for Paul. Rufus actually um, is probably um, mentioned other, in another place in Scripture. Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, probably wrote the Gospel to support believers in Rome. He writes this. Um, 
they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Christ's cross. The guy who carried the cross for Christ when he fell, his name is Simon of Cyrene, his um, son is probably this guy and his brother Rufus. His wife is probably the one that, Simon of Cyrene, his wife is the one who's helped Paul and, and really cared for him well. Greet the partners in Rome, um, Asyncrinitus, Philagon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Their house church, greet them. Um, these are people who are uh, part of this team. Um, and then he finally kind of concludes it, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches greet, all, everybody. <laughs> I, I, I've mentioned a bunch of people who I know, I've I've mentioned some people who've done some special things because everybody's important. And you guys greet one another and take care of one another. But now everybody's not, you know, in the same role on the team. Some people uh, you got to be, be, be wary of. <laughs> Keep your distance from false and divisive teachers. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth and flattery, smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise uh, to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Beware of false teachers. Not everybody who, who claims to be a part of the team is a part of the team. Here's the characteristics of false teachers. They're divisive. Anyone who's divisive stay away from those people. Divisiveness is one of the things that is worthy of church discipline. Divisiveness, stay away from divisive people. Um, people who are teaching unbiblical things. But mostly what you know about these people is that they're self-centered, they're power-hungry, they're pretty persuasive, they're manipulative of the naive and the gullible, and they are destined for judgment. Mark them, stay away from them. By the way, they're all around the place. Um, one of the blessings of being able to broadcast is the fact that there's some good stuff out there, and then there's a lot of this stuff out there. So be careful. Make sure that what you're hearing is biblical, not divisive, and that the people are not power-hungry and just taking advantage of naive people. Um, Paul lets them know the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God's going to take care of these people, and, and the grace of the Lord is going to be with you as you work through this. Uh, Tom Schreiner says, verse 20, this God's going to crush Satan, should not be separated from the rest of the text. The presence of these adversaries is due to the adversary. Satan's influence will be short-lived, for God will crush him quickly under your feet. Um, then he's going to greet um, all of these people who are with him. He's going to say, these people with me send the greetings. Because we are all in this ministry together. Um, I'm not going to go through all of this. Um, I'm going to come back to it next week. But, but I do want to tell you, we're in, we're in a partnership together here. And we are in a partnership with people all around the world. One of the blessings that our church has experienced this year is that you all were so gracious to give in the Easter offering so abundantly that we actually have enough money that in the year 2022, we're going to bring a lot of our mission partners from around the world, we're going to bring them here for a week at a time. 
So two families from the Czech Republic. We're going to bring them here. Let you guys spend time with them. They'll be here on a Sunday. Um, from the Ukraine, two families from Nicaragua. Um, the missionaries that we support here locally, we're going we're gonna to bring them in here because it's not just us. We are all partners together, but we are partners with everyone from all around the world. Um, and, and this is what, what we have been called to do. We've been called to partner with one another. Um, and so we need to remember that um, as we are called to partner with one another, um, let Let's be team players in that. Be a good team player. Be humble. Don't make sure it's all about you. Make sure it's all about the mission and the team. Um, Be humble. Be hungry. Look for places where you can serve. Be a good team player. Look for places where you can step in, even if it's something you might consider beneath you. Um, And keep growing. Keep keep learning and, and... and understand the impact you have on people. Sometimes it's just the impact of not being there. It's the impact of your words. It's the impact of your presence. It's the impact of, of just stopping to pray for somebody. And, and make sure that you're in a strategic community. You've developed a community around you that is just supporting you as a human, but is supporting you in the ministry that you have to walk with the Lord. They're supporting your walk with the Lord. And, and again, in the context of what Paul is doing here in Romans, um, a team that is, is united around the gospel, not around our political opinions, not around our um, personal agendas, but is united around getting the gospel um, disseminated across the rooms that we're in, across the streets where we live, and across the globe. Um, and we need to be in partnership with that. And, and you know what? Satan wants to divide all of that. He wants to mess it up. And he, one of the biggest ways he does that is with divisiveness and, and breaking apart teams. And when a church falls apart, not only does the work suffer, but, but the reputation of Christ's work suffers. And so it's important for us to recognize we all have a part. We are all part of the team. And everybody's presence and work and ministry is valuable. We need to be a part of this team together to advance the gospel for the glory of God.